Welcome to another episode of Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. Obviously, this isn't Lauren, so this is Brian over in New York, USA. And on the other side of the pond is... Lauren in Swansea, Wales, United Kingdom. It's so good to be back. And we've got a great episode today. Oh, we have an amazing episode today. And, and you didn't call Swansea the state of Swansea today. Yeah, it, yeah, that was, I misspoke that time I called it the state of Swansea. I, I didn't mean to call it the state of Swansea. Yeah, did you get hate mail from the Swansea Tourist Board or? No, well the Swansea Tourist Board, we don't have a Swansea Tourist Board anymore. The tourist office closed down. Does anybody go to anywhere in Wales for tourism other than like the set of the prisoner? Yes, um, we yeah, people come to Swansea, Pembrokeshire. Um, Moby Dick was filmed in Pembrokeshire. Which version? The the original version. Oh, okay. My 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 dad is from Pembrokeshire, and he told me the story about how um, one night there was heavy winds, and the whale broke free from the set. <laughs> Can I point out, Lauren, that uh, do you have any idea how hard it is for me not to make jokes when you say Moby Dick? Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I brought it up just to test how, it, how, how strong it, it was on. It's like, if I say Moby Dick, what will happen? <laughs> oh, brought it up. <laughs> this is because you watched too much Beavis and Butthead in your I youth. I watched a lot of Beavis and Butthead in my day. <laughs> you said yeah. Moby Dick. And I watched Daria. Diarrhea, cha-cha-cha. Oh, I like Daria. I'm Daria and my sister is Morgan. I'm, no, I'm neither Beavis nor Butthead. No, I'm quite admittedly, you know, I've even got the glasses. Oh, gosh, they're crying. Uh-oh, short panels. <laughs> One of them nearly ended up dead. They were fighting on the stairs. You should tell these children, if they misbehave, they're going to be forced to go to bed without their daily doses of Tom Jones. I should. Oh, my gosh. Did you hear that? I did. Like, they're still going on, mind. Of course. <sighs> were you and your brother like this? Oh, absolutely. And there was three of us. Three brothers? Yeah. I'm a middle child, can you tell? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to go down because they're still... I'll be back now. They're still going on. Yep. Sorted it now. I so think. Now, now do you think you want to reconsider motherhood? Um, I think I'm just going to mother animals. <laughs> because, you know, they, they... You know, their fights are just flash in the pan. You know, I did... So, you know, I caught you in my peripheral vision and I thought you were attacking me. So that's why, you know... They, they, they don't fight because they're bored. You know, there's a reason behind their fighting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, boys are like that. We have a lot of aggression and energy, and uh, sometimes it's just fun. Oh, yes, but not when, not when you wind each other. No. So which one hit which one? I, um... I think the little one hit the big one, and then the big <laughs> one hit back. I love it. 
Yeah, Theo hit Corey and then Corey hit back. But we both, you know, we it try and explain to Theo that if somebody bigger than you hits you back, they're going to hit you back harder and they will hurt you. But he doesn't seem to get that. Oh, he will. He definitely <sighs> will eventually. Yeah, I hope I, I I hope sooner rather than later. You know, I don't want to see him on the news or um, hear that he was down clubbing and got punched in the face by a rugby player. No, that wouldn't be good. Because so, rugby players are built like American footballers. Other uh, other than you know practicing your your skills as a referee, <clears throat> what did you do today? Well, well now now you see. I hope you cut that out of them arguing. Well, I cut most of it out. Did he? <laughs> you better cut all of it out. I'm not. Uh... <laughs> that I... might be good to shame them on a public stage. <laughs> well, you see, um, a couple of days, well, for a few days, um, Dacre Stoker, a great grandnephew of Bram Stoker, was advertising this mysterious thing that was going to appear on his website. They'd be selling on the shop, and I thought, oh gosh, it's going to be some impossibly expensive arty print or something. Do you know what it was? No. It's a bobblehead, and I bought it. <laughs> Is it a bobblehead of Bram Stoker? Of Bram? <laughs> I thought that looked nifty on my desk. Oh, a Bram Stoker bobblehead would look awesome on your desk. I know, right? You can't pass that up. And I bought a bobblehead of Baby Yoda. <laughs> Again, we're showing our different levels of uh, intellectual prowess there. <laughs> but come on, next to Cleopatra, Baby Yoda is the cutest thing in the universe. I think Cleopatra is related to Baby Yoda. And, and actually, we, we shouldn't call him Baby Yoda. Apparently, um, uh, they get very upset with that. He is the child. But he, he's he's whatever Yoda was. Or, or, you know, so. Yeah. I he's can't wait for to come back. Oh, yes. How long? I, I wonder, has it been affected by COVID? Because I know that Loki has. No, um, they said all principal filming was shot before COVID shut everything down. So they were in post-production and, you know, everything's computers now. So they could do that from home, and which means I'll get my fix of Baby Yoda probably in just a couple months. That's awesome. I love that Baby Yoda, the child, I'm sorry. It, we, you can quote Baby Yoda to me because that's how I refer to it. That's how everybody knows refers to him as yeah, Baby Yoda. It. It's Baby it could Yoda. be a girl, though. It's Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Now I want either a pop or a bobblehead of Edgar Allan Poe. You would like an Edgar Allan Poe bobblehead. Yes. Which is perfect for today's topic. I know. I can't wait for this. I love Edgar Allan Poe. Not only are we going to be talking Edgar Allan Poe, we're going to be talking Edgar Allan Poe with Janice Wilson. Oh, that's exciting. Who, um, for out there who might not be familiar with Janice, she is, you know, an author and a historian and a former attorney and a presenter, a television presenter, true crime <laughs> author, and um, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. 
not only is she, you know, a true crime author and a historian and an attorney and a presenter and all these other amazing things, she's from Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland in the USA, which is, you know, the home of Edgar Allan Poe. So she is quite a Poe authority. I would like to get, I would like to get, you know, because his death was quite mysterious in a way. Very. <laughs> um, and it would be great to get, you know, a, a, another a forensic point of view on that. Yeah, and she will. Uh, we'll be talking all things Edgar Allan Poe, and 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 then some other. We'll we'll you know we'll obviously dive into some other aspects of Janice's work in life, but uh, that Poe bobblehead will uh, just made me say we better talk about who we got coming on. But before we do that, yes, you know we should do our day in history, 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 history. We should do. And uh, did you like the effects I did with Today in History? History, history, history. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I finally listened to it. It was all right, actually. Oh, uh, did you hear your Easter egg? No. Oh, you should listen to that. <laughs> I try and avoid them because... Um... <laughs> oh, you'll like this last one. Because they're never, they're never things that I think about. There's something like... Um... They used to be little clay people. <laughs> oh, oh, you'll like the night. Like you'll like the last one. Let's just say I played with the uh, echo and reverb and editing on it. <laughs> yeah, and and um, ha ha ha! You've got murder hornets. <laughs> but it's time for today in history. Yes, and it's your turn to go first. It I think is my turn to go first. And today in history. 1885, June the 17th, the Statue of Liberty arrived in the U.S. from France. Wow. Yeah, Lady Liberty came home. And um, she was made of copper, and that's why she turned green. I thought she just was dating the Jolly Green Giant. No. Or she was a big Star Trek fan. Maybe. (laughs) The Green Lady. No, that it's copper. It's what happens when copper um, reacts with oxygen. Yeah, she. Um, yeah, wasn't she like made of melted down pennies from the French kids or something? I think so. Yeah, some. I don't know if that's a myth or a story. It's funny. We're both historians. We don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> I do love her. She's amazing. When you come to the states, I know it's on the other side of the state for me, but uh, Lady Liberty is very impressive to see up close. I have a little statue of her and a, and a New York snow globe from one of my friends that went to New York. And she's a central figure in the greatest closing of a movie ever. The Planet of the Apes. Absolutely. The greatest shock ending in film history. He was on Earth all the time. Spoiler. Damn you all to hell. Yeah, but the thing is, is if that's a spoiler, then people really need to reconsider their life choices. That's true. That's very true. But you remember the first time you saw it, if you didn't know about that ending? Oh, I think I was a child. um, Because it's one of those films that used to be on bank holidays all of the time. And it really really scared me. Oh, it scares the hell out of you, that, that ending the first time. But... I digress. You should go on to your Today in History. So, yes, mine is 1497, the Battle of Deptford Bridge, 
Forces under King Henry VII soundly defeat Cornish rebels led by Michael and Goth. So them Cornish rebels, did they bring the hens with them? Yes, they led the charge, Brian. <laughs> Cornish hens are tasty. Well, yes. Maybe they'd try to placate King Henry with them. I don't know. I mean, they probably would have been more successful if they'd used chickens, which are a little bigger. Or, or, or come on, if they came out with turkeys. Turkeys is a, came from the New World, I think. So, because... Um, They're delicious. They are delicious. I mean, yeah, no, no Christmas dinner is 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 same without a turkey. But I don't know. You don't have. You're more likely to have ham at Christmas time, aren't you, Americans? Yeah, turkey is a Thanksgiving tradition. Uh, a U.S. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Not can it, ca- Canada Thanksgiving is celebrating our man Michael Frobisher. So yeah. that's true. But U.S. Thanksgiving is traditional turkey. Um, Christmas is ham or turkey or both. Because, you know, we're Americans, so we're, we're gluttonous. Um, we have, well, back in, back in Tudor times, we did have this thing called a cockatrice, which was um, three different type of birds sewn together to make this fictional mythological animal. So I think that's worse than having two two meats two, you well know, you know what two. they do in America now is it a bird inside another bird because we do that too oh we do a bird inside a bird inside a bird that's just too many birds It's they call it a turducken they, well, we call it- they stuff a chicken into a duck and a duck into a turkey and they cook it we have that and it's most likely to be a, a chicken and a duck yeah, we'll take those and put it in a turkey. Then you're American. Very tasty. Especially if you carved it and you had, like, and you caught the three different meats in, like, eight, one slice. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a fat guy. I'm all for food. But that's just a little bit of overkill. Well, yeah, because duck can be very... Duck is a very temperamental meat. And besides, I'm a turkey fan. My brother would eat chicken for every meal. I'm a turkey guy. We used to have to convince my sister that turkey was a big chicken um, at Christmas time because she wouldn't eat chick- turkey. Tastes the same. Oh, turkey's much better than chicken. What about your yeah, side I... dishes? What are the traditional Welsh side dishes with turkey dinners? Um, well, I... vegetables, potatoes... We don't put marshmallows on our potatoes. No, I don't. I mean, yeah, that... we do. We do the potatoes. We do like corn, um, and uh, cranberries. We have cranberries, yeah. Cranberry sauce is nice. Chris, that's more of a Christmassy thing, though. Stuffing. Yes. Which I don't like, and and here's one. This is the that's one that's going to shock everybody. I hate gravy. What? Yeah, I don't like gravy. I can't stand it. You've had bad gravy. All That's what gravy I is bad gravy. No, it's not. It's terrible. What? Yeah, I know. Sarah says I'm broken. <laughs> She's right. 
gravy is disgusting. I think she needs to take you back to the shop and get a new brain. You're defective. Well, well, more gravy for her, I guess. I can't stand it. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you have to be in the mood, and it can get a little bit messy. Yeah, it's just gross. Well, you're a Duff's chicken wings guy. Oh, that's not gravy. That's wonderful sauce. That's heavenly sauce. I think they might be a bit too spicy for me, because I'm not a spicy Oh, person. they have mild. Like barbecue sauce mild? No, like mild, mild. None of that barbecue crap on Duff's wings. Like I mean, you plain can get, You can get barbecue if you want, but I mean, you don't want to ruin a Duff's wing with barbecue. Barbecue sauce is, 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 is amazing. All right, do you have any idea how hungry I'm getting? Well, it is lunchtime. Nearly lunchtime, though. I, I, I'm just... Oh, I don't have a turkey to cook, though. Well, why don't you nip out, go to a deli and buy some turkey slices? I, You know, I might do that. I'm going to order oh. a turkey sandwich for lunch. But I want to bring Janice on first because I want to talk Edgar Allan Poe. I don't want to keep her on hold for an hour while I go get lunch. <laughs> You're gonna, you're, no, you're just going to get takeout, and then when I'm talking to Janice, you know, slip away to the door. Or what you'll probably do is get Sarah to bring you one on the way home. <laughs> That's a good idea. Ooh, text messages going out now. Are you really? Hell yeah. So I require the finest turkey sandwich you can no, lay your no. hand on. Lauren, are you ready? I am indeed. I was so uh, lucky. I got to meet Janice when I was in Baltimore for that uh, Jack the Ripper conference. She was one of the organizers. And she was unbelievable. Because I'd seen her on TV because, you know, she's been on all those Discovery Channel shows and, you know, Deadly Affairs and Nightmare Next Door and uh, Scorned, and in that show, Killer Couples. Oh, I like Killer Couples. It, it's, it's a very interesting watch. Oh, so I walked up to Janice and said hello, and figuring she'd say, hey, kid, get out of here. And she was so sweet and so lovely and just unreal. And I convinced her to come on this show, which she may regret, who knows. <laughs> we got Janice coming on. We're going to talk about Edgar Allan Poe. You see, Lauren, that us Americans, we had some pretty good writers, too. You do. And um, Edgar Allan Poe is one of my favorite writers. I was talking about Janice. Because <laughs> <laughs> Janice is also, not only was she a trial attorney... She's a writer as well, um, and she's written about something very close to our heart. She's written about Jack the Ripper in her yeah. novel, Golston Street. Yes, I remember her being over and doing quite a bit of research and seeing all her posts about her research research trip, which was very interesting. Yeah, she, she's, 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 a, she's a bit of an Anglophile. So let's no, bring her on, and, and uh, I'll introduce the two of you. Uh, Janice, are you with us? I am. Oh, Janice, meet Lauren. Hello. Hello, Lauren. How are you? 
I'm doing very well, thank you. And and I am so thankful you came on to talk with us again. It was like I said, it was so amazing meeting you, and I, I just couldn't get over how. Well, first off, I couldn't get over how short you were. You look much taller yeah. on TV. That's right. I can't even wear a blue dress because people mistake me for a Smurf. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm a Sasquatch and all, but uh, <laughs> it. Uh, I could not believe just how how engaging you were and just how approachable and knowledgeable and fun. Janice is fun. You're very kind. And uh, you can send me the check anytime you want. I know my obligations here. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, before we start with our topic, you got uh, you got some pretty good news this week, didn't you? Yes, I, I was very fortunate. I was elected to be president of the local chapter of the Maryland Writers Association. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Maryland, which is the home of Edgar Allan Poe. So to be named the head of the Writers Association in Poe country is pretty damn cool. I was pleased. And it's well-deserved, obviously. Oh, thank you. Of, Of course, they might have been afraid that, you know, you do all those true crime shows, you'd come and get them. Or tell the truth about them. Or t- <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you get uh, hooked up with Discovery ID for all those shows? I was still practicing law in Philadelphia. I had just started working on writing. And um, a member of a, an organization to which I belong said that the Investigation Discovery Channel was looking for someone to give true crime commentary. And being a Philadelphia lawyer, I had nothing but ego. So I said, well, that ought to be me. So I (laughs) called up the Investigation Discovery Channel, and I said, this is your lucky day. It turned out to be my lucky day. Well, and it's such a perfect fit. I mean, the personality matches. It's just my mother is so jealous that I have you coming on today because (laughs) I watch her on all these shows. She wanted me to ask you about a bunch of cases, but I said, no, 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 we'll talk about Edgar Allan Poe. Well, there's a pretty good case to be answered there, too. I mean, one of the greatest stories about Poe is about his death, which is kind of fitting considering what he wrote about. And that was Lauren's big thing. She's like, ooh, are we going to get to talk about his death? Sure. I mean, talking about death is what I do. (laughs) And if there hasn't been a death, then I make one up when I'm writing. (laughs) So why don't we jump, you know, headfirst into Poe and do it uh, almost backwards. Let's start with his death. All right. Yeah, what makes it so mysterious? Well, he was, he took a boat from Richmond, Virginia, where he spent many years, and he intended to go by train to Philadelphia. So he took a boat to Baltimore and got off of the boat, and then that was, I believe, the 27th of September. 
1849. And then five days later, he was found delirious outside of a tavern. And, it, you know, he was Edgar Allan Poe, so people knew who he was. And the man who found him was a, a typesetter at the Baltimore Sun, which is still in operation today, and which you might want to know just won the Pulitzer Prize. Well done, Baltimore Sun. Way to go. And and he um, he was delirious, and so because there was, at that time, multiple mail delivery during the day, he sent a letter to a friend of Poe's and said, you know, this guy's in really bad shape. And the friend came and collected him and put him in a carriage and took him to the hospital. And he died five days later. So his last few days here are cloaked in mystery. And what's, no one knows what he was doing. Or another thing that's really cool about Poe's death is that when he was found, he was wearing somebody else's clothes. Now, this is not something you usually hear in your ordinary mystery story. No, and they were men's clothes, though, right? They were, yes. Okay. Yes, let's not, let's not sex Brian. it up. Brian. Yes. They knew that they were not his clothes because Poe was pretty fastidious about his appearance, as you know from looking at the famous daguerreotype where he sort of looks a little forlorn and has a little um, flower in his buttonhole. But he was wearing clothes that didn't fit and were very shabby. And the specula- and the day he was found happened to be election day in Baltimore. This was October the 7th of 1849. And they, um, I beg your pardon, October the 3rd. And they found him, as they as it was reported, in the gutter. So I don't know whether he was lying in the gutter or sitting on the curb or what his precise situation was. But they found him and and they they speculated that because it was election day and he was wearing funny clothes, he may have been engaged in a cooping scheme. Now cooping is when you get someone to come over to your polling place and vote for a person, and then you leave that polling place and you go somewhere else and you vote for that person again, and you sort of move around. And one way to achieve that and to not appear that you're deliberately voting too many times is to change clothes. So that's why people thought perhaps he had been paid either monetarily or in whiskey to vote for someone because it so happens that the tavern where he was found happened to be a polling place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's because, I don't know who the candidate was, but maybe they thought that he would really have to fuel up if he was going to bring himself to vote for this chap. But, but um that, that was a speculation because he was wearing somebody else's clothes. And, and, and you're right. It's such a bizarre ending to a life of a man who gave us so much of the bizarre. Exactly but, right. I mean, one wonders 
there was this, there were many speculations as to what the cause of death was because sadly for the historians listening the medical records have been lost and even his death certificate has been lost and that's pretty strange that's a government document yeah when did they go missing I don't know. If we knew that, we'd probably know where the, they were. I don't have them, I swear. Well, that's your story <laughs> now. You can stick to it if you like. <laughs> <laughs> but it was speculated that he had DTs or heart disease or epilepsy, meningeal inflammation or syphilis. And this is my favorite. There was also speculation he might have had rabies. You gotta really hate a guy to think he died of rabies, or all of them. Let's face it: if Poe had well, all of them, well, that'd be consistent with Poe's luck if he had all yeah, of them. He had all of them, and I have to say, to Poe's defense, a happy guy. Let's let's face it. Yeah, but but to his defense, the last time I was in Baltimore, they easily could have found me delirious wandering the streets because. <laughs> I was out with yourself and Christopher George and Michael Hawley and Martin Fido, and we were, a, uh, let's just say, great, in a bar. A great for drinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Poe is just, and, and he's, such, he's such an enigma. So many people know the lives of the, of the authors that they love, and Poe's life other than the really dark, misfortunate parts, people don't seem to know much about. And, and there was so much more to him as a as a person and a writer than just this dark, bizarre creature. <laughs> well, mystery writers like myself are big fans of Poe because he contributed so much to our work. He is credited with having written the first detective story. Absolutely he is, yeah. Which was, of course, Murders in the Rue Morgue, and the introduction of the first detective who used ratiocination, meaning he sat around and figured it out. And that person, of course, was G-Auguste Lupin, the French detective. And I believe that he was also the inventor of the locked room mystery. And that is one of the hardest things for a mystery writer to craft. So to, to invent it in the first place is remarkable. Uh, so much about his work was remarkable. I mean, how do I say this? Some of his poetry is so breathtakingly beautiful that people don't associate that with Poe. Well, he was considered one of the leading romanticists of the 19th century. At his when, time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because at that time people were moving away from the rational thinking and prose of the Enlightenment period. And they were getting tired of that, as people do, and so Poe came along and, and wrote a variety of types of things. He, of course, began as a poet, but he never stayed in one job very long. He then started to write short stories and was pretty much the first person to ever perfect that as a genre. Um, so he wrote short stories. He was an editor. He was a literary critic, and some would say a virulent one. 
I mean, he, he made a lot of enemies in his literary criticism, including some guy you may have heard of. His name was Ralph Waldo Emerson and uh, <laughs> Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. His fight with Longfellow was legendary at the time. So he, he took up that and then he, he worked on newspapers and wanted to start a magazine himself, but it didn't work out. He did so much, all the while being a personal mess. Yes, but he came by being a personal mess pretty honestly. I mean, this guy did not have a lot of good fortune. Uh, His mother was a British stage actress. His father was an Irish actor, and they were performing... King Lear together the year that Edgar was born, and the speculation is that he was named Edgar because of that play. I mean, what are you going to do, name him Lear? That would not bode well. <laughs> With his him. luck, it would have been. Yeah, so uh, a year after he was born, the father abandoned the family, and the year after the father abandoned the family, his mother died. And he went, at that point, both Edgar and his older brother went to live with the Allen family. Now, Edgar's name at birth was just Edgar Poe. When he began to live with the Allen family, he added it as a courtesy to acknowledge what these people had done for him. But they never formally adopted him. So that's how he came to be Edgar Allen Poe. It certainly has a better ring to it than Eddie Poe. That is true. (laughs) Now, did you you come to Poe through being a mystery writer or vice versa? No, I I came to Poe through reading The Gold Bug when I was in middle school. And I thought it was pretty neat. Um, And people like me just can't get enough mystery stories, so... Since I particularly like writing in the Victorian era, uh, it was absolutely essential that I read a lot of Poe's stuff, and I've been delighted to do it. I'm just sorry that he suffered so much to put together things on paper that depict such sadness. And it's, it's unfortunate that he's known primarily for the macabre because he wrote everything. He wrote science fiction. And he even wrote humor, although pretty much somebody has to tell you that it's humor. He he sort of wrote things that were Baroque uh, and over-the-top, things with people with silly names, a la Charles Dickens characters and things like that. So he, he he attempted pretty much everything. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, works of Poe is one of his humor pieces uh never bet the devil your head featuring well, the that's character, sound advice even today yeah, yes featuring the character toby damn it yes now lauren being you know over in swansea with all the great victorian writers of the uk how is poe looked at over there um they- he isn't as he isn't as populist as he is in America. He's kind of 
stuck in the gothic genre, which is quite sad because, you know, you do have things like he did attempt to write, uh, you know, a creationist theory with Eureka. Yes. Um, so it, it's kind of sad that we don't recognize him. He, it, you, if you aren't very um, motivated to read independently, he does sort of come at you at university, which is a shame. Or he's seen as something that the goth kids like. Um, but that's kind of that's kind of his lot in this country. Well, that's kind of you interesting know, um, because, we, you know, Poe was, uh, was corresponded with Charles Dickens and, um, and wrote and was scheduled to meet with Poe and became very ill and was un- he was going to go to Philadelphia and meet him and was unable to. But Poe, as you know, Dickens wrote most of his stuff in serial form. So when he was writing Barnaby Rudge, Poe did a critique of the first four chapters. He predicted correctly what the outcome of Barnaby Rudge would be. And he sent some of his writing to Dickens, and Dickens responded favorably. So they admired each other. And, of course, Dickens had a pet raven named Grip, and Grip made his presence known in in Barnaby Rudge. And then about five years after Rudge was published, Poe wrote The Raven, which is his most favorite poem. Um, if you if you go to uh, the Charles Dickens Museum in Bloomsbury, you can still see Grip. He's he's still there in um, as a form of taxidermy. Well, I think if you'll forgive my taking issue with you, I believe that Dickens' actual bird is housed in the Philadelphia Free Library, and that the the stuffed bird in the Dickens house is an imposter. Oh, boy. International fight. International fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's something I'll bring up to the curators next time I go there. Because <laughs> he is labeled as Grip. No, I'm telling you, he's just a lookalike. Oh. They put a Fascinating. <laughs> My money's on Philadelphia. I would, yeah, I, I would think so, too. You have a lot of our treasures. Well, no, it's just because I've like, been to both cities and Philadelphia is much tougher. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not scared of anybody in London, either. <laughs> yeah, because I'll tell you right now, I'm the home am. of Dickens, but Philadelphia is the home of Joe Frazier. Um, but you have a, I think... Yeah, I, I can see it being in America more. You appreciate more of our things and our people than we do, which is good. That's because, as Lauren loves to point out to us, Janice, we're Americans. We don't have enough history of our own. We have to take theirs. Are you I don't say that. that. <laughs> I take issue with that. I we don't say that. that. <laughs> I don't say that. I, I might say that you're when you complain about not having things going back to the 14th century, I point out that you are a young country, but you have a lot of diverse history, Brian. <laughs> Why did you say that? Why are you starting a fight? Because fights are good for ratings. Didn't you ever hear of Jerry Springer? 
Sadly, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I, I'm so glad we're not on video right now because I know both Lauren and Janice would be giving me the stink eye right now. <laughs> I have to say something. I admire your history greatly, and you know that. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> you would do that to me. Oh, because it's fun. Now, Edgar was um, an interesting character when it came to his love life. Well, That's the way that Jerry Lee Lewis would have described it, I believe. <laughs> I was going to say, do we dare go down that rabbit hole? I mean, it is oh, part of bet. his character. Well, Poe, as I said before, Poe didn't stay with anything very long. So he became engaged to a young woman. And then he went and joined the army because he needed a job. And during the time that he was serving in the army, he lost touch with his fiance. Now, to my way of thinking, that's just careless. Or intentional. Um, one could say that, yes. So some years later, he moved back in. He moved in with his aunt and decided that he would marry his cousin, which is creepy now, but it was not unusual then. Um, it was especially not unusual if you were a member of a royal family. But he married his 13-year-old cousin when he was 26 or 27. Um, and she, sadly, 11 years later, died of tuberculosis. And after she died of tuberculosis, he heard that his first fiance was, although married, was not happily married. And he sort of thought maybe that would be worth pursuing, but he did not marry again. Here's something I, I don't know. What was Poe's stance on women's rights and women fighting for equality? I cannot give a good opinion on that because I've not researched it or I, I've not found anything that discusses that. Yeah, and he doesn't but, ever discuss it in his work, really. Well, he he was very tender in, in talking about women. Look at the Annabelle Lee poem, for Which example. Which is absolutely beautiful. But being a, a soft-hearted, melancholy fellow... And the time period in which he lived, my sense is that he would think that women need to be protected and shouldn't do anything ugly like go to work. So I, I don't think that we could really count on him to join the National Organization of Women. No. It's also a bit too early as well, because while there would have been some sort of rumblings, it wasn't really until... Um, the 1860s, 70s, and 80s, that you really see anything coming through, really. Especially in terms of female education and the the, um, the Reasonable Clothing Act and everything, where women didn't want to wear the big skirts anymore because they were ending up accidentally being set on fire and stuff like that. Yikes. I, wow. Set on fire? Yeah, well, the skirts are so big, they brush the fire, and then sometimes they get 
Twilight. That's happened to my hair. In Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, there are passages where one of the women kept scorching the back of her skirt by standing too close to a fireplace. And the family was always scrambling to find something to cover up the scorching, like a giant bow. So it did not go well. But another problem with the clothing at that time, you know, you've you've read about women being on fainting couches and getting the vapors and that sort of thing. And they truly did get the vapors because their corsets were so tight, their lungs were almost collapsed. Uh. Now, Janice, I don't know if you know about Lauren's upcoming book. I do not, but I'd like to. Lauren is writing the definitive history of the women's suffragette movement and their imprisonment during the uh, the time of the of the protest. It's a great topic, and as you know, this year marks the 100th anniversary of our having received the right to vote. Thank God for that. Yes, ours was um, well. Um, it, yes, ours was last year and then yours is this year. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yes. And those women were brave. You know, they, they didn't just stand up for our rights and stand up to government. They had to stand up to their husbands who thought they, they should indeed. have no rights. I mean, it, it was... Uh, I mean, I know that from um, a, from a British point of view, um, I know that um, it wasn't until um, the um, that Richard Pankhurst, a husband of Emmeline Pankhurst, drafted and wrote the um, revisions to the divorce laws that women couldn't um, keep their own um, income and that they lost their children as soon as the husband wanted to get divorced, they stayed with the husband. So it was that they had to stand up to every um, every part of society, and the general thought was is that women were were represented in um, politics because they were they were represented by their brothers, their fathers, their husbands, their uncles. Any male member of the family represented the voice of a woman, which is quite scary to think that you know that we that we as women had very little power, very little voice. Yes, I mean, they lost their fortunes. Uh, typically, when there was a divorce, which, of course, was very rare because of this very thing, they um, they lost all right to the children, which is counter to our perception now that a mother's care is more important than a father's, which is stupid, but it was the thinking for many, many years. But not not in the 19th century. It was then everything should belong to the man. He could spend a woman's fortune. He could make her work. He could forbid her work. He governed what the the children could do. The woman had no rights and actually no personhood at all. No, we were property. Precisely. I mean, there's a great story about Edith Lanchester, who was the mother of the actress Elsa Lanchester. And Edith decided that she wanted to live with her sweetheart, but didn't want to become married for obvious reasons. And so she simply announced to everybody that they were going to move in together. And the next thing you know, her father and brothers broke into her flat and kidnapped her and took her to a mental hospital. And 
she would still be there today, probably, if it weren't for her friends, the socialists, because she was the secretary of Eleanor Marx, Carl's daughter. And when the socialists found out about this false imprisonment, they made quite a fuss about it, as only a socialist can. And so there was then a hearing before what was called the Lunacy Commission, and they decided that she was, and I love this, um, that she was considered sane but foolish, <laughs> and that her... Um, her parents, her father had the right to do this to her, but they were going to let her go, and they diagnosed her problem as having been, get ready for it, over-education. <laughs> Lauren, sound familiar? Yes. Yes, this is a problem with which I suffer myself. Wow. Mm. I just think, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe the boyfriend was just a real jerk, and <laughs> they didn't like him. Well, they seem to have been very happy after she was freed from a mental institution. I've heard of being crazy in love, but never like that. No. Then again, you know, look who her daughter ended up marrying. That's right. So That could not have been a happy... Well, they were friendly, but you know, Charles Lawton was a homosexual, so I don't know how romantic the relationship was. No, it was definitely um, a marriage for the for the uh, papers. Right. Now, back to Poe, because, you know, we tend to ramble on a show called History Ramblings, as you know. <laughs> Poe has become such a major part of, of pop culture that, you know, I mean, it helped with all the movies made based on his works, which none of them really were, but except for title. And, uh, you know, Baltimore's football team is the Ravens, and they have three mascots, Edgar Allen and Poe. What, at what point did he become such a pop culture figure? My guess is that it probably began with the most famous obituary ever written, in my estimation, which was written by a man named Rufus Griswold who was a rival of Poe's, primarily because Poe turned his literary criticism pen against Rufus, and it was more of a bloodletting. It was really ugly. So after, after Poe died, Griswold, using a pseudonym, wrote an article about Poe's death, well, and about his life as well. And he says, you know, Edgar Poe is dead. A lot of you will be shocked by this, but very few of you will be saddened by it. <laughs> Which is just plain rude, let's face it. Um, and he wrote, he went on to say that Poe had been a drunkard, a drug addict, um, essentially any kind of ne'er-do-well that you can imagine. And it's pretty well established that Poe would like to take a drink, but there's no proof that he was a drug addict. Now, I am aware of one biography who said that Poe attempted suicide by drinking too much laudanum. Now, laudanum is a mixture 
I, I guess it would be a heaven's brew for those who took it. Uh, it's a combination of brandy and opium. And it's known to chase your troubles away. Uh, yeah. But um, it was available without prescription. All you had to do was walk up to the counter and buy it. It was given even to children if they were colicky or had a toothache. So I have to believe that if a kid, if a baby had a toothache and was given brandy and opium, that toothache might go away. Pretty damn so quick. So Poe had taken four doses of laudanum right before, you know, during what was later deemed a suicide attempt. But he may have simply been used to taking laudanum when he was deeply depressed and was a little more depressed that time and so took one more hit. Yeah, or he had a toothache. Well, <laughs> if what Griswold said was true, Poe had probably been hoping for a toothache for justification. I, I also love the fact that someone whose name is Rufus Griswold had to use a pseudonym. Well, it's it's Rufus Wilmot Griswold. I mean, there's some, to quote P.G. Woodhouse, there's some raw work done at the font. I mean, it sounds so much like a name Groucho Marx would have used. Yes, only his was Rufus T. Firefly. Rufus Griswold, what a name. And isn't it wonderful how well Rufus is remembered compared to Edgar? Yeah, I mean, when all you're remembered for is, oh, and and many of the things that he said about Poe have since been proven false, and he relied on any number of letters. Poe was naturally a great letter writer because he didn't have a cell phone. Um, and Griswold used his letters to say, to support his contention that Poe was just hopelessly drunk and worthless. And it's since been discerned that those letters were forgeries. So Griswold was not only jealous of Poe's genius, but was willing to commit a crime to back it up. He wasn't a very nice person. He, His private life, Griswold's private life, is quite messy. Tell us so more. He wasn't... Um, he... Um, he he was married two and a half times. Yeah, he um his second uh, wife um he wasn't able to divorce her properly um and because they didn't attend the appeal, so it was dismissed. Neither of them did, and he was paid a thousand dollars to not marry again if um they were separated. He he wasn't very nice. No. He wasn't very nice about um, Walt Whitman, so. And it just shows well, either. how well he's remembered. There's a story out there. He accused Whitman of plagiarism. He did, yeah. Okay, Rufus got some yeah. problems. Rufus had some problems, but he, he died of tuberculosis, and people raised money to build a um, a memorial to him. And they never did. <laughs> <laughs> so even his friends are like, meh. No Rufus Memorial. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was unfortunate that he was writing poetry at the same time that Poe was. Sort of like the problem that I have. 
writing mysteries when James Patterson is publishing. So, but I have never accused Patterson of of stealing anything or breaking any crimes or of being a drug addict. No, but you know, nowadays, if you accused him of being a drunk and a drug addict, it would probably make him more popular. Well, it would definitely make more people aware of him. Uh, people do like to read things written by people who are linked to scandal. So if they want to know about somebody who, well, I mean, look at Lord Byron. He was known to be rather wicked. And we've all read a lot of Byron and not just not just biographies. He was bad man and dangerous to know. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> now, Poe was not really very financially successful during his life either, was he? No. Um, his benefactor initially, Mr. Allen, was what I think we, we could fairly call stinking rich. He had about, in today's money, about $17 million. Ooh. But he fought with this man because... He would drink and gamble. And after he left the, well, he left the army by getting someone to take his place in the army, which I found a curious thing to do. Yeah. It, it reminded me of the Civil War in which an aristocrat could just pay somebody to go and take his place in the army rather than being drafted. So Poe found someone to take his place, and he was allowed to leave. And then he enrolled in West Point, and he didn't much care for that either. So after a year's stay, he deliberately got himself court-martialed so that he could leave and go and start writing. He, did, he was convicted of not doing things like showing up to march are meeting any of his soldierly obligations. And the American army does not take kindly to disobedience of orders. No. So he was bounced pretty quickly, and that made Mr. Allen very unhappy. They no. did reconcile briefly after Allen's wife died. I, w I was going to say, I can't picture the author of Dr. Tar and Professor Feather being a very good West Point student. No, he... This is a man who always wanted to shake off the yoke. Yeah. He didn't want to do anything except what he wanted to do, which is one of the re another reason that mystery writers love him so much is because he is the first writer known to have made his living by writing. When you consider how many millionaire mystery writers there are now, that's shocking, but no one had ever done it before. It was Something that a gentle might, gentleman might do on his off hours for a little fun. But it was never expected that anyone could sit around and write all the time and make a living at it. But that's what he was doing. And prolifically. I mean, just the output that he had in his relatively short life is, is, is incredible. Yes, a, a huge output. Many, many short stories. He wrote a play. Um, he wrote tremendous amounts of criticism. You could, really couldn't satisfy Poe if you were another writer, uh, except for Dickens, of course. He was very fond of Dickens. Everybody loves Dickens. Well, Dickens wasn't 
I mean, everybody loves Dickens because he's the creator of happy endings. What, what I got from Dickens when I was growing up was that all you needed was a chance meeting with a kind-hearted soul, and you'd be given a job or you'd be given money or your debts would be forgiven, and you would then have a happy life. But it was, you know, Dickens didn't write about self-made people. He wrote about the Cheerable Brothers, <laughs> uh, people who could help you out, um, David Copperfield's aunt. Yeah, whereas I want to read something more along the lines of the cask of Amontillado. It's a great story. It's more realistic to me. You pissed me off, so I'm going to kill you. Yeah, you can't just wait around for somebody else to make things happen for you. No. And like you said earlier, Poe, there's a sense of humor there that so many people don't pick up on. It's, uh, to use a, 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 a British expression, he's kind of cheeky in a way. Yes. Lauren, you said you didn't really study Poe till university. Did you ever read him on your own before then? Yes, I did. Mostly because there is a, um, a comic called Lenore, and she is a zombie. And it's sort of, she is based around, yeah, she's, she's cute. She's a little zombie. And she had, she's a little girl that's a zombie. And um, it's sort of based around Poe's work, inspired by Poe's work. And that's how I got into it as a teenager. That's right. She's cute. Lenore is the, is the woman that the narrator of, of The Raven was in love with. He had lost Lenore, and that's why he was grieving so much when the Raven showed up to see him. And it's it's so easy, especially in America, like to get into Poe for different reasons. Like I said, the uh, the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe films that you know I saw as a kid, and then went, wanted to read the stories and realized these stories are nothing like these movies. One of my favorite examples was the first Alan Parsons album is Tales of Mystery and Imagination, songs based on the work of Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, he really has transcended pop culture in so many ways that, you know, I can't think of another American writer that's done that. I would get, I would meet that challenge with Mark Twain. Yeah. Um, Whose work, by the way, now has been banned in some schools for course. the same reason that Gone with the Wind has been taken off of HBO Max. Twain, and, and I don't like to say anything bad because he did live where I'm from for a while. You know, we're very proud of that. But uh, I don't know if he crossed over as much as in, in the pop culture aspect as Poe. I mean, he certainly has the legacy as Poe does. And they're both great humorists. Oh, absolutely. Um I used to be a newspaper reporter, and I was very fond of quoting Twain as saying that he went out west and became a newspaper reporter. He said, I hated to do it, but I couldn't find honest work. <laughs> oh, good old Twain. Yeah, like, I, like I'm from Buffalo. Twain did live here for a while, and uh, it's surprising how many people here don't realize that and don't even know who he was. So That is a pity. And Poe and Twain... Both had really kick-ass hairdos. 
They really <laughs> did. But only Twain's been on Star Trek, so, yeah, no. Oh, I see. I didn't know that. Yes, um, there is an episode where, uh, in The Next Generation, where um, uh, Data gets sent back in time, and he meets Mark Twain. And Mark Twain ends up um, in the future on the Enterprise. It's very interesting. Now, see, Edgar Allan Poe would have been more interesting on the Enterprise. Yeah, he would have been. <laughs> but then he might have been a bit of a bad luck charm, you know. Baltimore, Maryland is still quite proud of their connection to Poe, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. As you pointed out, the football team is called the Ravens. And there is um, a hotel in Baltimore quite near to where I live. And the restaurant in that hotel is called Apropos, P-O-E. <laughs> so, yes, we if, if you don't pick up on the subtleties, we will ram it down your throat here in Baltimore. Yeah, and Buffalo doesn't do that with Twain, and they really should. We don't do that with anything in history in Buffalo, though, to be honest. You know, we gave birth to a president, we assassinated a president, and we had a former president as mayor of the city. And most people in the city have no idea of any of the three of them. It's really sad. The only celebrity people seem to remember is from Buffalo is Rick James. <laughs> and he's got the biggest monument in the cemetery. He's buried in the same cemetery with the president and Shirley Chisholm and, you know, all these great, great people. And Rick James has got the biggest monument. Well, speaking of monuments, you know, we have a dandy one here in Baltimore for, for Poe. Yes. And um, the, the fact that Poe was buried in the back of the church, in the churchyard there, uh, very humbly. And then some years later, when Baltimore began to appreciate what it had, it created a cenotaph and um, built together this marker and brought in the bodies of Poe and his deceased wife and his deceased mother-in-law, and they are all buried there together. And starting about 1930, in the early hours of the morning on Poe's birthday, the uh, a mysterious figure would show up dressed in black, would pour out a portion of cognac, would, would toast to Poe and then disappear into the night. He would leave behind him the rest of the bottle of cognac and three roses tied in a particular order, which order I do not know. It is speculated that the three roses were to signify Poe, his wife, and his mother-in-law, of whom he was very fond. And this kept going on. Nobody knew who the Poe toaster was because he had an excellent ability for disappearing into the darkness, into that churchyard. And so that continued from 1930 to about 1998. And then it was resurrected. And this was on January 19th, which was Poe's birthday. But it also stopped again in 2009, which would have been like the 50th anniversary. And so 
everybody tried to figure out who is the Poe toaster. And it was so missed that people in the Poe Society tried to resurrect it and find someone who would do a good job, but they couldn't create anyone quite that mysterious. It was wonderful. No, I went and visited the uh, the... The, the, the head zone, I went to visit the marker and, I mean, obviously because I wanted to see Poe's wrestler, but part of it was I wanted to leave a drink, like the Poe toaster. Um, it's such a great little mystery that and to this day, I don't think they ever figured out who it was, did they? There's speculation that it might have been the person who ran the church and that it was done to try to raise money to maintain the church's upkeep, but I don't think it was ever proven uh, there was a man who later claimed that it was he, but I don't know for sure. I can tell you that this puts me in mind of one of my visits to England on researching my book, and that is that I went to Mary Kelly's grave, Mary Kelly being the last of the Jack the Ripper victims. I don't care what anybody says. I know that's the case. Um, and no, so we agree with you. And someone had very kindly left her a pint of gin. And I thought that was more touching than any other tribute they could have given her. See, and, and Lauren makes fun of me because when I went to Tumblety's gravesite, I left him a cigar. That's because okay. it's Tumblety. I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of Tumblety. Well, he was a cigar smoker. Yeah, but there, I mean, you talk about your good stories. Mike Hawley will tell you there's a lot more to Tumblety than his smoking a cigar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike and I are working on a new book, actually. That's wonderful news. Yeah. Um, yes. It'll be his uh, his third Tumblety book. But uh, we're focusing more on Tumblety's life in Canada and some of his mysterious escapes and problems he had. Well, you know, Tumblety lived in Baltimore for a while. He did. See, he's everywhere, Lauren. I know. And it's possible he I know. He be- I was I was just gonna, I was just going to say it, it sounds like somebody he would want to know. Poe is the kind of person Tumblety would have sought out to be associated with. I don't know if there's any connection or any proof of that, but certainly the kind of person he'd want to be associated with. Mm-hmm. Well, Tumblety would, yes, but I don't think Poe would have any interest. No. Poe seemed to want to be, I mean, Poe had a way of burning all of his emotional bridges. <laughs> so I don't think he was looking for a best friend, and I don't think that he, I mean, Tumblety is not, to my way of thinking, an attractive person. No. And I'm not talking about his physical looks. I mean, he just seems too creepy to me. Although, and I've told Mike Hawley this, I think the most interesting of all the tales that spun off of Jack the Ripper. I mean, just the guy's yeah. life is fascinating. Oh, by without question. There's so much more to him. I mean, this guy should be taught in history classes because he was involved in so many things. He was, he was like Zelig. He was everywhere. He was a Zelig, and he claimed to have been under suspicion in the Lincoln assassination. Which he was. We found the proof of his arrest. That's that's quite true. And in addition, since we're getting into minutia here, John Wilkes Booth is buried in Baltimore. 
Ah, and uh, Booth is another one with uh, not only a strong tumble tea connection, but a Buffalo connection, too. Right. Oh, isn't it? See, isn't... That's the great thing. We might be a young country, but our cities have some great history. They do. Well, we also have a great history of producing really weird characters, and believe me, Tumbledee fits the bill. Yes. I was going to say, if you guys think Poe is weird, Tumbledee's much weirder. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you think, just judging by his writings and what we know of him, that he probably would have been diagnosed today as a manic depressive? or Well, there's no question he was suffering severe depression. But the question always gets when you bring in, you know, psychiatric influence. Are you, are you troubled? Are you schizophrenic uh, because you're deeply depressed? Because your father left you, your mother died, your wife died, you lost track of one of your fiancés. I mean, if anybody was ever going to be depressed, this guy had a right to it. Oh, he did. I mean, it, and luckily, he turned that depression into his creative, uh, his creative musings, and he gave us a legacy that few authors can match. That's true. I don't know if he's more prolific than P.G. Woodhouse, but he's definitely not as funny. No. Now, I know we've been going for, for over an hour here, so I, I, I don't want to tie you up for the whole night, but I do have a couple more questions before we go. Okay. The first one, Pluto. Is it a planet or no? No. You've had your answer. You should stop asking this now. Are, are we getting into the area of obsession now? Well, yes. we've had we've had a lot of discussions on this show because I say Pluto is grandfathered in and Pluto's a planet. Hashtag pro planet Pluto. And Lauren disagrees with me. And so I've decided I'm going to ask everybody. And I even asked theoretical physicist Dr. Lawrence Krauss and he agreed with me. Pluto's a planet. Well, the scientists who downmarked Pluto um, consider him to be just space schmutz. Um, that, you know, that is not a planet. I don't have, as we say in the South, a dog in that fight. <laughs> but um, I, I do take your point about being grandfathered in. If I had to learn the name Pluto... I should still be given credit for being able to identify a planet. That's right. See, Lauren, Pluto is a planet. <laughs> so you say. Lauren, do you have any other questions? None that I can think of. It's just I've had so much fun listening and learning new information. I probably will do over the next few days. But not right now. I'm sorry. The two of you, knowing both of you, you two would love each other. I could see you two becoming very fast friends. I'm not going anywhere for the next few months, so that would be easy. Absolutely. Now, speaking of the next few months, um, what do you have cooking? What do you have in the works? I am writing my second novel. 
Ooh, any spoilers? Any teasers? Um, it is about Eleanor Marks. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, and it and it is a novel. Um, but the nonfiction aspect of it is that she is one of the coolest characters I've ever cro- come across in my life, and I know about Frances Tumblety, so this is saying <laughs> a lot. Um, she was a genius. She she was the executor of his father's materials. She um, edited them. She took over socialist meetings. She uh, was a highly placed socialist. She was an actress. Um, she was a writer. She was a proponent of things that we that benefit us today, like the eight-hour workday. She fought really hard to bring that about. She was a feminist, um, although I don't think she would have used that term. Um, I'll tell you one interesting thing that will be in the book, because just knowing this, it's worth writing a book to put this in there. She was a very good friend of a chap you may have heard of named George Bernard Shaw. Oh, yeah, I've I've, I've heard the name. (laughs) And she and her live-in lover, who was an actor performed The Doll's House with George Bernard Shaw playing one of the roles. Wow. Now, that's fairly cool. No, that's very cool. That's unreal cool. Now, I also... unreal. Before you go, I want to uh, let you tell talk a little bit about your first novel, which was so good. I love this book. Oh, thank you very kindly. It is. Well, my first yeah. my first novel was called Goulston Street, and essentially it is a retelling of the Jack the Ripper story with what I hope is a great many facts about the case. Um, I did take liberties. I did move one body. But we let you slide down. on that one. Thank you so much. Very kind. Uh I wanted to tell the story through the eyes of someone just learning what had happened, because that's a, a good way to to begin at the beginning. And so I created the character of Lady Sarah Gray, who, by the way, is the protagonist of the book I'm writing now. And Lady Sarah was living in Whitechapel through a terrible set of circumstances that left her impoverished and alone. So she was running a boarding house in Whitechapel. She didn't really think that the police were too keen to find out who was killing prostitutes in that area. So she decided to do the investigation herself. And that is the the crux of Goulston Street, which I still claim correctly identifies Jack the Ripper. That, That is not based on my research, but based on the research of others that I read. And I... in. In the end of my book, in my acknowledgments, I, I point out who gave me the answer to the riddle. Yeah, and it's and it's such a it's such a great novel because yeah, there's some liberties taken for dramatic effect, of course, but the facts are the facts in the book. You know, you don't change the history to suit your book, which too many people right. who write Ripper uh, fiction do. <laughs> hmm. Right. Uh, well, you know, it's a great story. It's just a fascinating story. So 
I just let somebody else tell it. That's all. Yeah, and I know, do like the character of Lady Sarah Gray. So did I. I thought she was she's fun. She's brilliant. She's determined. And she's not weak like so many women in Victorian novels. Right. She doesn't let she doesn't sit back and let other people do things. And when she's crossed, she just steps up and says what she thinks and moves on. She doesn't let people deter her. I like her a lot. And she has a lot of pride, even for a woman who's stuck in the situation she's in, which I love. Good. Thank you. Yeah, that makes me very happy. It's a, it's a great book. And, uh, you know, it's available on Amazon. Everybody should uh, log on and pick that up. But wait till you're done listening to the episode. I always tell people to go log on. Like, I'm telling them to, like, turn the show off and go. But no, wait till it's over. Then go to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> buy the book and before we before we say goodbye do you have any other anything you'd like to say any uh anything you'd like to promote or pitch or talk about or um no i i recently did another true crime episode but it's it's already shown earlier and um so i i don't have anything to plug i'm hoping that i'll be invited back to do another true crime because I'm just fascinated by true crime, and I, I like to I like to talk about the amazing work that goes into solving these cases. Oh, you'll be asked back because you're so good on those shows. Thank you, thank you. You're very sweet. Plus, every time I'm turning the channel, I'm like, look, look, Sarah, there's my friend Janice. Look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was on Facebook the other day, and someone posted, Janice Wilson, you're on my TV. <laughs> and that's all it said. And it, it, it made me think of Miney Python, you know. We'll sit on telly. Looks yeah. like a penguin. <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, again, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. And you are welcome back anytime. If you want to talk anytime yes, when your new absolutely. book is done, you can come on. If you want to talk true crime, come on. If you want to talk anything you are always welcome here well that is a very tempting offer and i appreciate it i i will take you up on that and i promise i, I will not ask you about pluto <laughs> yeah he can't <laughs> no we may have other questions oh we do have one more question i almost forgot <sighs> the best thing to ever come out of wales tom jones well, that depends. Did anything else come out of Wales? <laughs> Dylan Thomas. See, I would take Dylan Thomas over Tom Jones anytime. I think he'd be more fun to hang around with uh, and that he would be less full of himself than Tom Jones. I, you know, I was going to say, that's the historian and educated woman in you, not the just woman in you. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Burton as well also came out of Wales. Oh, I I love Richard Burton. He's a brilliant actor. Yeah, but it's Tom Jones. Like I said, I love Richard Burton. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, it's about time to say goodbye. So I want to thank you all, and I want to thank especially Janice Wilson for coming on, and I'm going to put a link to uh, to her website and uh, a link to her book on Amazon in the description. 
So Thank you very kindly. Absolutely. So from Janice in Baltimore and Brian in Buffalo, and as always... Brian in Swansea. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much. I mean, you have to be in the mood and it can get a little bit messy.